The four-minute mile had never been broken in Wellington County. That was start, sort of how it started. We had a bunch of people who just came out to a scrubby six-lane track at uh, St. James High School. And, uh, you know, there was no admission. People just showed up and, and watched the races. And lo and behold, Taylor ran, I want to say, 357 for the mile on a, on a scrubby, you know, tire track. Uh, and that was the start. Running in Ontario, I've heard from a few different people that if you're given a spot on the line in the Inferno, you take it. Full stop. The Inferno that they're speaking of is a once-a-year spectacle hosted by the Speed River Track and Field Club, especially made notable as it's in a country that's probably best described as a desert for similar high-level track and field meets. Now, every year, world-class athletes like Melissa Bishop, Nate Brennan, and Charles Philibert Thibodeau come in from around the globe to throw down on the University of Guelph track in front of a strong local crowd. Claiming fast times and a meet designed to eliminate all the boring elements usually attached to track meets, the Inferno really stands out, even in a relatively small field of similar meets. And this week, we trace back this annual evening of track built by the club to see what has made it so captivating and sometimes downright magical. Hello and welcome to Something in the Water, a look at SidiousMag.com at the Speed River and University of Guelph track and field teams. While we will definitely be diving into the individual event groups of the club in the future episodes, the Speed River Inferno is also a huge part of the makeup of the team culture, bringing in talent from around the world, but also featuring local favorites, giving club members a chance to jump into races with some of their best competition without having to cross international borders. On this episode, we'll chat with Chris Moulton, the man who has developed the Inferno as a meet director from the days of trying to draw spectators any way possible to its current iteration. And we'll also count down five major moments in Inferno history with people who are there like Jessica Furlan and Taylor Milne. First though, to gain some context, perhaps it would be best if we go way back, a decade before the meet even came into conception, on a track across the country with coach Dave Scott Thomas. The origins of the Inferno come out of a workout that my junior group did back out in Victoria. I had a group of uh, fire young high school athletes that were feeling super confident one day and asked how we know how fit they were. And I said, well, we'll have to do the Inferno and find out, which was a made up hyperbolic name. And the workout didn't actually exist yet. And it became this mythological beast that you had to conquer at some point. So we went and I went home and wrote in a, a workout out that was kind of special for them. They went and did it, and over subsequent years, that became this this mountain that you had to climb and indicated that you were ready for something big. We took that as a metaphor then for event hosting and things that we wanted to achieve and something that was sort of grand and fiery and spicy and all, all that kind of stuff. And when we started hosting in Guelph, we called our biggest meet each year the Inferno. Biggest at that time might have been 25 or 30 people on a center track running old school 880-yard two-lap events and things like that. But the notion was that as we were going to build and eventually have a decent facility, we wanted to pull, put on bigger and bigger meets. So that was always the conception of the Inferno. It was going to be something that could have a bit of impact, ideally nationally and internationally, and we knew it would take years to get there, and we started uh, building that up right from the get-go. So that's the, the, how it became that event. It really started taking off when Chris Moulton took over. You know, we had a guy who was very organized and passionate and creative, and we started moving the event over to this old rubber track at St. James uh, High School. And each year we'd try to find a little hook for that. And initially it was the first sub-four-minute mile in Wellington County, which Taylor Milne broke, and we must have had three or 400 people on this little six-lane scrubby track uh, watching him do that. And then it's built into what it is today with Scott McDonald now coming on as meet director for the 2018 edition. The Inferno Five. The five moments that mean the most to meet director Chris Moulton. Number five. Community involvement has been a priority for director Chris Moulton, which is why you have events like an all-comers road mile and, as of a few years ago, the Kids 100. This story shows that maybe sometimes unforeseen circumstances happen. I always wanted to do something in the races that we had for little kids uh, because I love little kids and I now have two of my own. So we, we wanted to do this Kids 100. And, you know, we just said, if you're a kid and you're there, walk down to that line, blow a whistle, or in the first year's case, shoot a gun, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, and, uh, and you get to run down to the other. And frankly, 
that's what the sport is about and what makes it great it's the it's the pureness of just running as fast as you can so we so we had this mile downtown and i said we got to have a kids 100 everyone can run 100 meters right like it's you know you you can run it at three you can run it at 10 so we said any kids under i think it was 10 i want to say um we're going to run the mile it's going to finish and then we're going to just turn around and well it's not going to be time there's not going to be results it's just a whipping down card street which is a kind of a um a cobblestone street in downtown guelph i guess it is probably and so the first, so we did this race, and and, and I, my daughter was in it, uh, and she was two at the time, I want to say, and I had neighbors' kids, and and so we probably had like I don't know, seventy-five kids, and uh, John Marsden was our starter, who runs our timing crew and runs uh, Speed River Timing, and he shoots off this gun, and a bunch of kids go ripping down the track or the the road, and and I look over at my daughter, and this is like my my proud moment as a dad, right? Like this is my my first my daughter's first athletic pursuit, and she is bawling and the gun the gun sound was so loud that that she just started crying and and you know and i'm trying to like calm her down and 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 also not laugh at the my own stupidity for not realizing that two-year-olds probably don't like loud gun noises it was just it was just this hilarious moment and it's one of the things that i'll always remember about the meets uh, you remember it for a few reasons one <laughs> it's about trying things right and and and, and not making mistakes and, and on a grand scheme of things this was a minor mistake but uh, the next year we did it again we used a whistle this time it went much more successfully um and we had a lot of the same kids out right and and i've always said one of the neat things about track and field is there's a there's a i guess a, there's an egalitarianism about the sport uh in the sense that it's it's accessible to so many uh and you can you know whether it's the scotia rank toronto waterfront marathon and more in the road races than anything else but you're all kind of doing the same thing and and you know it's another thing that's great about it is it, it encompasses families right like one of the reasons we had this road mile and this kids 100 was there was something to bring your whole family out for and they could all do something within it right so you could push your kid in a stroller even though a mile and then have your kid around the hundred and and so and then hopefully you all come out the next night to watch the uh the race so uh, it was something that we we did the uh, a couple years and, and we're certainly going to do it again uh this year with us being on a wednesday night and us doing a campus mile we won't do it this year but uh it, it's always a memory of mine that i find kind of kind of it brings a smile slash tear to my eye because uh it's just this hilarious memory of my my, my daughter's big athletic debut and she's balling on the sidelines uh, my name is Chris Moulton, and I'm the uh, meet director for the Speed River Inferno. You really can't tell the Speed River story without Chris Moulton. For the better part of a decade, Chris was the general manager of the club, also taking on the role of Inferno meet director and helping the club rise to the prominence it's currently at. To start the conversation, I asked Chris about the initial acceptance of this high-performance meet and when it started to get its fast reputation. I don't know if I guess when you first start something that's not always the case. We've been fortunate uh we're we're uniquely positioned in Guelph to be very close to a lot of running hot spots, you know. Uh and we've been fortunate to have, have buy-in from those groups right from the start, uh, whether it's uh groups out of Toronto, groups out of London, groups out of Windsor. They've always bought in, you know, Melissa Bishop ran in the first ever Inferno, ran a 600. She's still the meet record holder in the 600 meters, uh, you know, so we've been fortunate to have good buy-in right from the start. And, you know, I, I think we've always had an athlete-centered model where we're trying to give athletes a good opportunity to run fast. And that's been the priority of the meet, uh, you know. We've added things on and the meet's growing in, in stature and size in terms of attendance, in terms of budget, all good things. But at its core, it's a track meet where the goal is for people to run fast or, or jump high in the pole vault or jump far in the long jump, uh, as the case may be. That's always been our, our main focus as a meet. So, you know, I, I think that hopefully is reflected in athletes wanting to come to the meet. So t- take me back because I believe it was both you and Dave who came up with the mm-hmm. idea to put together this really high performance sort of meet what were those first conversations like and how long did it take to move from idea to first meet yeah we always knew we wanted to host here like that was always a big focus of ours so i started here 
uh, full-time in 2008, uh, working with the club as kind of a club manager in, a, in our kind of second full-time position. And we, we knew we wanted to host, but we didn't have a venue to host. Uh, so, you know, over time we started a few twilight meets and then we, uh, and, and those predated even my, my being in the role. And, and we, I think it was 2010 was our first year. And we all, we, we had, I'd been to Europe, David had been to Europe, we'd seen meets and we, we sort of based it on the meet in Houston. Um, because I, I always liked the feel of that event. You know, it was quick, uh, you know, Michael, I'll be honest, track meets are boring. <laughs> like, 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 let's not, like, they go on for hours and hours and hours. And, and, you know, and if it can't keep my interest, someone who's been in track and field for virtually their entire life, what are the odds that it's going to capture my neighbor's interest? Right. So our goal was always kind of like this meet in Houston that I, that I'd been to and, and, and lots of Canadians have run it. The KBC knock meet, um, was, you know, something that was quick you know, there was lots of action and then you went home and, you know, our original goal was, was, uh, to keep the program to 90 minutes. Uh, we've hosted the 10 K championships last year and this year it makes it challenging to have a 90 minute program with two 30 minute plus races. Uh, so we have gone a little bit over time, but, uh, but historically that was always our goal. So that was kind of where we started. So the first year we actually had two 600 meter races men's uh women's 1500 and a men's mile and the goal there was the four minute mile had never been broken in wellington county so that was kind of the idea uh and you know that was start, sort of how it started we had a bunch of people who just came out to a scrubby six lane track at uh, st james high school and uh you know there was no admission people just showed up and, and watched the races and lo and behold taylor ran i want to say 357 for the mile on a on a scrubby you know tire track uh and that was the start and um after the track project you know went through and we had this much better facility um that was kind of a phase where we kind of amped things up uh, New Balance came on board at that point to, to, to augment the support, and we started bringing in more athletes. Uh, you know, at the start, it was sort of a uh, maybe a premium twilight meet, and we've kind of emerged from that to, to where we are now. And over the years, you know, we were fortunate to be invited to, or accepted into the National Track League, uh, and that's been huge. Uh, it's been great to have Athletics Canada support. Uh, our community's gotten behind it. Now we're getting, you know, over a 1,000 spectators consistently year after year. Uh, we've had fantastic nights where it's sunny and beautiful. We've had horrendous downpours and, and everything in between. Um, and, uh, but over time, you know, it's, it's growing to be, uh, you know, something that's special and, and hopefully that's something that's part of athletes calendars. And, and, you know, for us, this is the Inferno is not the pinnacle of, of, of what we want to do in terms of hosting here. It's part of what we want to do. It's part of a building block, Right. And um, if we do get the opportunity in the future to host a Canadian championships or an officer track and field championships or, or whatever athletics Ontario championships, the, the goal will be to have an embedded fan base already built here. Um, so we're not trying to present a new sport to people. People know the sport and, and, you know, our market has always been, you know, we wanted to get the word out to local runners. We have a great running community in here from, from the club to the varsity team from alumni from the guelph victors uh, you know the great work that the various running stores and the running works in the running room do in in, in the city um but we also want to get it to families and and people who have never been to attract me and we want to present to them something that's entertaining uh you know if and as i come back to my initial point if 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 we can't captivate the hardcore runner's interest we're never going to captivate that person's interest so that's always been kind of the goal and kind of how the event came to be. The Inferno Five. The five moments that mean the most to me, director Chris Moulton. Number four. Going way back to the beginning in 2010, the event needed a hook to draw people out. That's where, at the time, 1500 meter specialist and member of the team Taylor Milne comes in. The goal? To run the first sub four mile in the county. Well, we were looking to build the meet up a bit. By we, I mean. Chris and Dave and the Brain Trust back then. And they were just looking for a shtick, I guess, kind of, to get the people out. I mean, Guelph's a great running community, but um, they wanted something to just kind of sell, I guess, to the fans, try to get maybe some, the casual fan out. You know, like, what do people know? A lot of people know the marathon. 
But if we're talking track meets, the four-minute mile just kind of still stands out in people's mind. They know there's a significance to it and stuff. Um, and the way they sold it, I was kind of, come see if you can do the sub four. I think my 15 equivalent is somewhere around a 353. Three, I think it's a 353 mile. So it was kind of a, a low risk without maybe the general population knowing that it was a low risk. I thought, I knew I was in shape like five days before in Windsor, I ran a 338, 1500 with just a rabbit to 800. So I knew if I got a rabbit to 800, I should be able to do it. So I was fairly confident, but then the people were asking and stuff. It made me a bit nervous. I'm like, I got to deliver for people and the fans and stuff. It just made it a bit more important to me. So I was like, I actually, I'm excited about this. Let's get it done kind of thing. So I forget who was announcing. I think it was Dave. Um, it was just spot on every lap, kind of letting the fans know this is where he's at. And uh, I went out conservative just because I knew after about halfway I'd be on my own. So I wanted to have a little bit for that. So I think right at halfway, I was like at four minute pace. And like, so it, it just, I didn't try to make it dramatic, but it just added a bit of drama. Like, oh, will he be able to do it and stuff? And then I think after three laps, I was a second under. And with about 200 to go, I just kind of like stepped on the gas a bit just to see. I knew I was probably going to be under, but I didn't know. So I made a big push. And then I came around the corner. I, I knew at that point that I was under. I was like, oh, this is actually going to be a pretty good run if I get to the line. I was trying to stay smooth, get a push. Um, but the crowd was into it, and I get excited. Like, running's hard, so when it's going well. I knew I'd won the race, and I knew I'd hit the time. So I was just playing up to the crowd a bit, just kind of. Um, but I was happy. Like, to run 357 up on that old track, um, it, was a, it was a good effort, and it was just a really, really fun day. And it was kind of... Before we had our big track, so everybody was just standing around the track and just like kind of standing room only as opposed to up in the bleachers and stuff. So people were just right on top of you. So it was just kind of, it was where we were at as a club at the time. It was, it was cool. Um, people didn't really care about the nice facilities and stuff. It was just, we were there to watch uh, first sub four in Wellington County or something. So uh, I think people just had fun, thought they were part of something, so it was, a, it was a great night. The Inferno makes some pretty big claims as far as entertainment goes. Rather than just being another boring track meet, I ask what they do to try and make the Inferno palatable for everyone. Oh, you can always improve. Uh, you know, we're, we're continuing to evolve. Uh, last year we, we launched a, a fan fest out front of the stadium where we had bands playing and then it poured rain and we had to <laughs> shut, down, shut down the fans. Um, you know, uh, it was, so we're always trying to evolve and, and you know, w- the Inferno is uniquely positioned in that, that kind of level of track meet that's completely different from a national championships because we have no duty to run rounds or things of that nature. Um, so, you know, the challenge that Athletics Canada and Scott in specific faces is, is a different one than, than we face as an event. Um, but the challenge of keeping people entertained is a challenge that we all have. And, you know, we can always evolve. You know, we're always trying to improve. We are, we are fortunate to have a very, um, to me, special venue. You know, we have great seating. Uh, we have bleacher seating. Uh, we have the hill. We, we have, generally kept our fans in the bleachers because we want to have a crowd right Mm -hmm. uh you know and and the challenge our challenge in some ways because we have capacity for eight thousand people is a thousand people can look pretty uh pretty thin Mm -hmm. um but a thousand people for a track meet's a pretty good attendance so um so it's always been a bit of a challenge but you know we want to continue to grow and continue to build on it and and uh you know we're always focused on entertainment uh, but never to the detriment of athlete performance. And and that's always been a, you know, the core philosophy of the event is it's the goal of the event is to give people the chance to compete and excel. And, you know, selfishly Canadian athletes and, and, and if you even to, to zoom in a little further, mm-hmm. Southern Ontario athletes, right? right? Um, you know, Canadian athletes on an annual basis, if you're an elite athlete, spends thousands and thousands of dollars to travel around the world to try and get a chance to run fast. And and when we started this meet, one of the goals of the meet was to be able to give people an opportunity to run fast locally. And that's the that's the core philosophy of the National Track League. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that takes a lot of buy-in and it takes those athletes being willing to commit and take a bit of a risk because, you know, they don't know who's going to be in the fields 
And, you know, the athletes who committed in 2010 or 2011 were, were, uh, we didn't have a bit of the history that we do now. Um, And we, we, to be honest, Michael, we haven't had a point where we have had that, like, we've had good races, but I've yet to have the, the, oh my God moment where, you know, you know, and, and, and I, and I, I, I look back and I think like, I look at like the men's 1500 at Harry Jerome and a lot of people think that, you know, it's been a strong 1500 and it has, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, in 2008, Taylor Mill ran 336 flat there and made the Olympics right. and people still, you know, were eight plus years later, <laughs> remember, you know, because that was that, like he was a 339 guy, maybe even run 338. He, I guess he could fact check me on that. Mm. And then he broke through and, I remember I was, I was actually at my, my, my master's graduation and I, I had my first cell phone at that point. Uh, I was a bit slow to adapt to, to technology, I guess. And I remember I, I walked in my grad, turned on my phone and, you know, loaded up the page, which took like mm-hmm. an hour back then. And I'm like, you know, and I was like, holy cow, like, wow. <laughs> right. And, and, and we've had great results at the Inferno. I don't want, I don't want to dismiss that. You know, you can go through years and find tons, but I'm still waiting for that kind of like, where did that come from? Uh, you know, unbelievable mark. And, and, and I'm confident it's going to happen at some point, but you know, that's what I look forward to. And that's what keeps us trying to improve. The Inferno five, the five moments that mean the most to me, director Chris Moulton, number three, moving from a meet known for mid distance and endurance events, 2015 saw a big introduction to sprint races at the Inferno. Uh, so in 2015, that was, uh, kind of one of the first years that our meet had really fully expanded into, um, full track and field events, and uh, and we had a, put together a really good field in the hurdles. We had uh, a couple of athletes from Cuba, uh, a Barbadian athletes, and, and some very good Canadian athletes. And you know, it was it, it was interesting because you, you could feel the energy in the in the in the stadium, getting ready for the for the race. And and then we had a false start, and uh, and and so one of the athletes, uh, one of the Dominican athletes, got disqualified. So. So that just added to the excitement of the, the venue. And it, to me, it was one of the first points where I was like, you know what, this is a community that's embracing all aspects of track and field, not just distance running, which is sometimes a perception that people had a, about our community. And then, and so the gun goes and the race goes off. And then uh, we, had, we had two athletes neck and neck. And, and, and the last, uh, the, the one who was leading over the second last hurdle, uh, hit the hurdle, crashed down to the ground. Uh, so it was, it was a pretty, uh, pretty exciting hurdle race. And, uh, you know, for me, one of the reasons why I said that was kind of a memorable experience for me was because it was just a further indication that the, the meet had started to, or starting to come kind of to be a complete track and field meet. And, uh, you know, obviously our roots were in the, the endurance races and, and, and obviously that's continued to be a big part of, of the, uh, the, the marquee of the event. But, uh, you know, that was our best field that day, uh, in terms of athletes ranked in the world rankings and, uh, so it was a particularly special moment for me. In Canada, there's this mentality that you have to go south to run fast. Mount Sac and Peyton Jordan come to mind. Talking with Chris, I asked him if the Inferno was changing that state of mind and if it was a big priority for the meet. You know, we're always trying to get there for sure. You know, you're talking in Mount Sac and, you know, Mount Sac's a 30-year-old meet, right? Like it's got, you know... It's a phenomenal meet, and it's it's a it's a staple of the varsity collegiate system in the U.S. Where, uh, you know, heck, you got guys running 143 there, uh, you know, or 159 in the women's 800. Uh, you know, I think a guy broke 10 in the 100. Uh, you know, so um, we are we aspire to to be that level of meet. It's a full track and field meet, right? It's four days. Um, where athletes want to come here and, and come here with an expectation that they're going to be able to run fast. You know, Peyton Jordan's, a, it's a great meet. Uh, it's a distance-centric meet, though. You know, we're we're trying to be a full track and field meet in the sense of offering good sprints. Um, you know, we offer a few field events. We have some limited limitations in terms of field facilities here at the University of Guelph that we're, we're working on, um, which will allow us to do more. Um but you know, uh, we absolutely are hopefully hopefully building ourselves towards that. The reputations like that take years to build, and and we're we're hopefully taking our taking our steps to do that. And you know, I think there's a there's a massive population that know who we are. I don't have to spend my first four sentences of an email explaining <laughs> what the meat is anymore. So that's that's a that's a positive. 
Um, and, you know, I think we're, we're getting there. And, you know, this year, hopefully, you know, we, we're steadily improving. You know, allathletics.com does... Um, does global rankings every year over we've been improving our ranking we're one of the top 100 track meets in the world um, you know and we continue to to improve and that's the goal you know building a, an elite track and field meet is no different than uh, building yourself up as an elite athlete it's not an overnight success you know unless you have boatloads of money which which you know and those meets aren't often sustainable. You know, I, I had the, the, the privilege of going to watch uh, Usain Bolt race in Toronto in 2009, I want to say. Um, you know, and, and John Carson, who uh, is, is a local guy from, from Cambridge, uh, lives up in the, the Yukon now, uh, maybe the Northwest Territories. Uh, John can correct me on that. But he, he was the brainchild of that. And they, and they spent a lot of money and got Usain Bolt. And it was an amazing event but it was a one-off, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sustainability has always been a big uh, part of that. There's a lot that goes on behind an event. You're dealing with uh, government funding. You're dealing with private funding. You're dealing with ticket sales. Track and field meets are tough because nobody buys track and field meet tickets in advance. Right. Like we get 90 some odd percent of our attendance as walk-ups. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's funny, Michael. One of the interesting things about a track and field meet is it's not the weather at the time of the event that matters. It's the weather at like 4 p.m. for a 7 p.m. <laughs> event that matters because that's yeah. when you're going to make your decision if you're going to go. Yeah. Last year, we had gorgeous weather during the event, but at 4 p.m. it was pouring rain. And I mm-hmm. know there's, you know, a couple hundred people probably that said, ah, it's raining, I'm not going. <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, there's we have to be nimble. We have to be willing to adapt and and, uh, you know, this is a very long-winded answer that probably has meandered up fairly far off of your original <laughs> question, which was, can athletes come here and run fast? Which the answer, in short, is yes. Um, but, you know, I think it's it's part of what makes an event sustainable over the long haul. And you get a reputation. And, you know, and I think the biggest thing that we try to do is we try to treat athletes fairly and we try to give them a good opportunity to, to be in an event that goes off on time weather cooperating of course and that uh and that uh, you know is 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 well paced ideally uh and that has good competition and if we can achieve those things um then we've done our job so the national track league uh referred to previously as the ntl in in this interview i'm i'm sure a lot of our listeners know exactly what that is the inferno hasn't always had, I guess, the support, for lack of a better word, of the NTL, but it's been a few years now, and and you guys have been a part of the NTL. What has that done for the meet, and uh, what's the nature of that relationship? Yeah, so so a few years ago, they put out a call for for meets to apply to be part of the NTL. Uh, We were fortunate enough to be successful in that application. Um, It's gone through a few different iterations. at this year we're kind of at a low point in terms of number of meets with three uh, unfortunately victoria at least as of the time of this interview mm. uh was off uh, has decided to take this year off so uh so so it's halifax uh harry jerome and ours um it, it's been great uh, you know one of the biggest things that uh that i think being part of the series has been helpful for us is just learning from people like you know doug clement is a legend right like the guy, you know, the, the Jerome's been going, like, they started the sun run, right? Like, right, like, right. like the guy was, a, a you know, an Olympic-level coach, Olympic-level athlete, uh, you know, he's he's the, the head of this Heart and Stroke Foundation in Canada, I believe. Like, yeah. like to be able to learn from, like, we, we did some pod, uh, some uh, some conference calls over the years where they, you know, there was one where they just walked us through their org structure and how they made it work. And, you know, and most of these events, uh, you know, are almost entirely volunteer run. Mm-hmm. So how do you build those teams, right? And, and you know, to be able to, to learn from them uh, you know, Kevin Heisler in, in, uh, in Halifax, you know, Kevin's got a real, he's got a challenge out there, right? It's tough, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough to get athletes out to Halifax and he's had some bad weather the last <laughs> couple of years and, and athlete memories aren't always that long. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you have bad weather one year, uh, but Kevin's always been a great guy to deal with and, and answer my questions and bounce ideas off of. And, uh, you know, and then the support from Matt and, and Rob and, and the entire team at Athletics Canada has always been great. Um, you know, 
being able to use athleticscanada.tv um, as a as a broadcasting platform is huge. Uh, you know they they help us with you know simple things like making sure the doping. Uh, drug testing is, is, is appropriate and, and done. They answer questions, you know, um, helping us with the various permits that we need to achieve in, in terms of NACAC permits and things like that. There's a lot that goes into putting on an event a, a, of this scale. And, and, it, and, you know, it's great to have support. And that's really what the National Track League has been about for me. Um, and it also, you know, it, it also is a way uh, or something that international athletes look to and say, oh, okay. And then they just, I have no doubt that they, in fact, I know for a fact, because sometimes I get emails that say, dear Chris, I'm really interested in running the race in Halifax. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know they just go down the yeah. website and just click off the emails and, yeah. and say, we're interested in coming. So uh, so in that sense, it also opens up doors in terms of athletes. And, and we've been over the years fortunate to be able to work with those other meets in terms of partnering on bringing athletes. A couple years ago, uh, Kevin uh, and I brought uh, 10 athletes up from Cuba, uh, which worked quite well. Uh, we did it last year. It didn't work out quite as well because we had a few athletes that had to withdraw at the end. Um, but, uh, you know, those type of partnerships are also beneficial. The Inferno Five, the five moments that mean the most to meet director Chris Moulton. Number two. Women's steeplechase has seen a huge growth in Canada in the last few years. So it's hard to believe that going into the 2014 Inferno, no woman had ever broken 950 in the event in Canada. The woman who did it, Jessica Furlan, recounts the race. In all honesty, I hadn't given much thought to the Canadian record leading up to that race or throughout my season at all that year. At the time, the record was 951 or 952 low something. I had just missed it in my season opener at Stanford a month earlier, and I remember after that race, people coming up to me and saying things like, oh, you were so close to the record, you'll get it next time. But again, I hadn't been paying attention to that time barrier. I hadn't thought about it much more than acknowledging that that's what it was because my main goal for the early season was to run under the Commonwealth Games standard of 948. If I did that, so long as I was the first Canadian across the line, the record would come with it and just be a nice little bonus. There are a couple things I distinctly remember about the race at the Guelph Inferno in 2014. The first was how calm I felt just before the start. I remember doing my last few strides on the track and thinking about all the people who supported me and believed in me, and that I knew their support was completely unconditional and that their belief in me was genuine. That was the first time I really had those types of emotions on a start line before, and it just gave me this overwhelming sense of calm. So now it's the strategy I try to employ in every race. The second thing I remember was quickly figuring out after the gun went off that if I wanted to hit the Commonwealth standard, I was going to have to go after it on my own because no one else seemed to want to push the pace. I'd found myself in this position before, and so I didn't hesitate to go to the front and go after it. I knew I was fit enough to run it, and I hadn't flown across the country from Victoria just to race to win. I had come to try and hit the standard, and I was sticking to that plan regardless of if anyone else was trying to get it or not. I can't fault the other girls for sticking to their race plan and going after their own personal goals for that season, but to me, it didn't make any sense not to at least attempt to go after it. It was the last day of qualifying. There were three of us that had all been previously close to running the standard, and the Commonwealth team allowed for three athletes in each event, so why wouldn't we work together to try and run the time we needed? If there is one regret I have from that race, it is that I waited 100 meters to see if anyone else was going to go for it, and that I didn't just go out on pace from the gun. The rest of the race is mostly a big blur. I have faint memories of DST announcing and people cheering, but crossing the line, I knew I had just missed running under the time I needed. There was still some small part of me that was hoping I'd look across to the clock and see 947.99, but when the time flashed up, it read 948.89. 0.89 seconds. Even if I hadn't gone for it from the gun, maybe if I had decided literally one second earlier that I needed to just go for it, maybe I would have got it. The silver lining was that I did break the Canadian record, and to do it on Canadian soil, which is something that doesn't happen very often, made it even more special. Guelph is a very knowledgeable community when it comes to track and field, so I was glad to be able to have that record-breaking performance there for fans who would have more of an appreciation for it. At the same time, I think that many of the people in the stands that night also understood how bittersweet that victory was. Looking back at the race, it was probably one of the toughest ones I've ever had to run, more mentally than physically, to be honest. 
afterwards, I had so many mixed emotions that it took me a good couple of days to figure out how I really felt about my performance. But in the end, I am proud of the fact that I went after it. As cliche as it is, it is so much better to try and fail than not to try at all. Because if you don't try, you'll never know. And I know with complete certainty that I gave it everything I had that day. And I can't ask myself for anything more than that. There, in this sport, seems to be a battle to capture the eyes of the casual fan. Of course, Tracktown USA has done that to a certain degree. But looking around the stands at the Inferno, and you can see that conversion starting to take place. I ask about the Inferno as a gateway to the sport and bringing in members of the community. Well, there's so many, there's so many things to that. So, you know, you mentioned uh, Oregon, and, and, and they're the, at least in North American terms, the gold standard. They get 5,000 people out to, like, the Oregon relays. Like, they're, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, like, it's incredible. Like, you know, they sell season's tickets for, <laughs> for their track and field meets. Um, so there's a I don't think you can isolate a track and field meet and and make that um, be how you build a fan base, right? So there are a lot of different pieces to it. Um, Part of it is youth programming, you Mm -hmm. know. Excuse me, I I love to go to see, to my grocery store and see a kid walking around in a Speed River youth programming t-shirt. Speed River Extreme Teams, our our youth um, channel, Mm -hmm. you know, that kid comes out and, and hopefully, you know, his parents come to the meet or her parents come to the meet and, and that's part of the connection, right? Uh, so, you know, part of it is connecting to, um, to local runners and, and then, and the challenge to make it work is that you have to get those people bought in and then you have to get them to invite their friends. Mm-hmm. And that's the hurdle mm-hmm. because uh, at least locally, we don't have enough of a critical mass where we can get... If we got every runner in Guelph to come, that would be a, a good crowd. Right. But if we can get but if we can get more of them to invite their friends, and the way that you do that, I think, is they come to the meet, and maybe they come by themselves or with their partner or with their family, and they're entertained. And it comes back to your question about entertainment. Because if they're entertained, then they're more likely to say, hey, why don't you come to this? The other thing is it's got to be affordable, right? You can buy a ticket for the Inferno for $10. Uh, it's $15 at the gate. Um, you know, that is a reasonable price. You're talking to family of four, that's under $50 uh, if, if, they're, if their kids are getting a youth ticket price. Um, so, you know, I think that that's a big part of it. But I think the biggest thing is it's got to be entertaining and I come back to my earlier or my statement about it's got to be short, right? Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants to come to watch five hours of track and field. They don't like, yeah. like, like, you know, and so it, it needs to be um, appropriately timed to, to, to maintain their entertainment throughout the, the evening. So it, it takes time, you know, it's, it's, it's multifaceted, you know, it, for us, we have so many different pillars in our community here you know, on a Tuesday night in Guelph, you can go out to the, the track. And uh, I was talking to one of my colleagues who, who is not a, a runner. Um, and her daughter has recently started with the Extreme Team, which is our youth, our, our kind of 5 to 12-year-old programming. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's a fundraiser. Um, and, uh, and we were talking about, she brought her daughter out and she said, her daughter had a great time. And you know, it was, it was amazing, you know, to see how many people were out watching, running on the track. And I was like, mm-hmm. the incredible thing is there were no elite athletes out there. Like some of them were out as coaches, but none yeah. like, like the, 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 what, what your listeners perceive as speed river. None of those right. people were there as athletes, <laughs> right? Like, like mm-hmm. none of Dave Scott Thomas's group, very few of Jason's group like that, like even Jeff Hall, the junior group, like they all practice on Monday. So they weren't there right. on Tuesday. Um, and there were still hundreds of people. And my wife told me the story of she was running along and she she's in the master's group that that runs mm-hmm. on, on Tuesday nights. And she heard a kid yell, go dad. And the kid <laughs> was in the extreme team doing like long jump. Uh-huh. And their dad was running around the track uh, <laughs> doing intervals with the master's group called the Guelph Victors. Uh-huh. And I was like, that that is why we built that track. Right. And that is how we build the sport. It's, it's that family connection. And, you know, I, I, uh, I think that that takes a long time and we're, we're nowhere close to being there. 
and we're not the only community in, in Ontario or Canada that's building that. And, you know, um, for our sport to be successful, that's a huge part of it. The Inferno Five, the five moments that mean the most to me, director Chris Moulton. Number one. I remember vividly being there in the stands as Taylor Milne ran the last 50 meters, hyping up the crowd as he proved fitness, securing his spot on the Rio Olympic team in front of a home crowd. After a season that had certainly seen some setbacks, it was truly a special moment. Um, going into the season, I had a great indoor season. I had great training block after indoor season. Stanford was running a heck of a race, did a lot of leading. With 200 to go, I thought I had a lot left. And then I was just coming up on the water barrier and hit it a little wrong and went off on my bad leg. And I missed by about an inch. Unfortunately, that inch at that speed turned into just a big wipeout. Hit the water pretty hard. By the time I dragged myself out of the water, I knew I was well under that 830 proof of fitness standard when I was going in. So I was like, ah, maybe I still have a chance. Um, so I got up and I finished. I think I finished in 832 or something. So I missed it by two seconds, um, and then once I crossed the line, I could tell something was wrong with my, my shoulder. Turns out it was just like a separated or dislocated first degree or something. So it was just really painful for a little bit. And then I got a little bronchitis, um, and so I went over to Rome, ran an 8.30 point just off the, the proof of fitness. So I hopped over to Birmingham, and I'm like, I just got to knock this off. Like, I know him. I ran an 8.30 point again, which technically... I had not yet proved fitness, so I wasn't getting panicky because I knew I was fit, um, and uh, I was still on the antibiotics when I was over in Europe. So when I got off those, I got back here, and I knew I had the Inferno, and it was two weeks away. I was looking at other races, but I'm like, I don't want to chase too much. I know I'm fit. It's Guelph. I love running in Guelph, so I was just, everything, I was just setting up for, for the Inferno. I was like... You know, you got to get it done there. Um, and he was setting up well. We had Heron Lagat coming into Rabbit um, for the steeple. Does a lot of diamond leagues. He's very good at his job, so no worries. Um, and then found out five, six days before that he wasn't coming. So it was just kind of, okay, like you don't panic, but I was just like, okay, this changes it a bit. It's, I know I'm fit, but... 8.30 solos, going to be a tough go. Um, so I just started looking around, thinking, like, what can I do? And I looked at the 1500, and I was like, hey, Mason Fur Furlick's coming for the 1500. And I looked at the schedule, and I'm like, ah, oh, there's not a lot of time, but if you can get me a couple laps, maybe. Um, so we had, I'm not sure who it was. I'm guessing it was Chris Moulton who contacted Kevin Sullivan, Mason Furlick's coach. Uh, me and Sully had ran against each other a few times. Um, we were roommates in Beijing. Um, great guy. Um, so we asked him, and he said he could probably... He'd ask Mason, obviously, because it's up to him. And then they said they could give us three laps, which was, to me, three laps sounded way better than zero laps. So he got out there and just got it going. And uh, we were coming around 1,100. He was meant to do 1,200. Uh, he said something like, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep going. And, but he had to look at his coach, Kevin, and he asked like, while he was doing it. And then I was like, come on, Sully, come on. Sully. And then Sullivan like, gave him the keep going, keep going. So he got me to about halfway. And uh, I was right around 825, 826 pace, um, feeling good. It was, it was cool. Everybody in the, in the stands and around the track was aware of what I was trying to accomplish. It was a big advantage, it being in Guelph that day. I mean, other track meets, people would have been encouraging, but there it was just, people were watching, they knew what I was trying to do. They'd been with me for the last 10 years since I've been in Guelph, saw me miss London. Um, they knew it was a big moment. Um, so the, uh, the crowd just really got behind me. And again, like I said, I just, I get, f I feed off that stuff. So I was trying to keep it, in control, just to make sure I did get that. With about two laps to go, I'm like, I, I could really like step on it and maybe go for a little low 820s, which would have been a good, a good run, like fairly solo after the rabbit dropped out. But that lap, I decided to just stay very controlled. And then 
with a lap to go. I just knew I knew where my legs were at and stuff. I was like, you get over these hurdles. I mean, try to go quick, but get over them. Make sure you're landing properly. Um, and then, as I've been known to do, kind of the last... I got over the last barrier, and then I started, like, kind of whooping it up with the crowd and stuff. Because I just knew I had done it. And, like, there was people jumping on the sidelines and stuff. And it was just... It was an awesome moment. Um, it's funny when you're feeling very fit and in control, like the last 100 meters of that race, I, it just felt like five minutes, but in a good way. It wasn't like, oh, I get to that finish line. I just like, I was like, this is what I wanted. This is probably my last time ever racing in Guelph. Like I had already made those decisions. Um, just the way the stars aligned, it was perfect, perfect way to kind of end that heading into the championship season. Um, and then you cross the line and the race marshal, or like the people working the meet aren't just people you don't know. It's like friends and teammates and my sponsor was up in the beer tent. And so it was just, it was awesome. I got to go over and give everybody high fives. And it, was, it, was a, it was a good night. One of my fondest memories for sure. Wrapping up, I asked Chris how he thought the Inferno had shifted the culture of high performance track in Canada, if at all. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to answer that question, to be honest about it. Uh, you know, I guess I can tell you what I hope it would be the impact, which maybe would be, um, you know, I hope that we can gradually over time make our sport more accessible. And I don't mean accessible in the sense of um, available to individuals with disability. I think we should make our sport more accessible in that, and we do have a para event at the Inferno. Um, but we do our sport often a disservice with the way we present it. And, you know, track and feel at its core is incredibly exciting. And, you know, and you mentioned earlier that I'm the guy running around the field, jumping up and down. That's because I love that, right? Like, you know, uh, and I feel like sometimes we get in our own way. And, uh, you know, I, I sat on dozens of committees with with various coaching associations over the years and you know and just tried to make it more fan friendly uh and and one of the big ways to do that is to just shorten the time between events get things moving along you know uh i think the u sports track and field championships is one of the most exciting events out there i love watching it um but i like why I, this was the first year in 15 years that i've watched it from home and the nice thing about watching it from home, Michael, is when when there was the 25 minutes of downtime between events, I could go get something done, <laughs> you know. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's about presenting the sport in an appropriate way to our fans that's exciting, that's compact. You need knowledgeable commentators. You know, we've been blessed to have a lot of different commentators over the years who can explain the sport. You know, Dave Scott Thomas was our commentator for a number of years. Um, this year we have Andy Hahn coming to commentate on the TV side. Uh, I think we have Steve Fleck and, and perhaps Perdita. We had her last year. Um, so knowledgeable commentators who can explain this sport to people. Um, and, and, and that's a challenging job because you need to be able to explain it on both ends, right? You, because you have a fan base in the stands, if, if, if we've done our job right, that has a massive spectrum of knowledge of the sport. And so you have to be able to explain to the person who's never seen a steeplechase before what the steeplechase is about and not insult the guy who ran 10 years of steeplechase in in the crowd as well um so you know those are things that i think are really important um you know and hopefully that's something that over time um permeates into other events to be honest there's always the sport has to have those multiple day championship style meets and but even those can be better constricted to have you know and I and I see they're doing it this year with with uh, with the nationals where they have uh, I think it's called Thursday night distance races or something like that where um, you know Scott's going to kill me that I screwed up the name but hey uh, you know but but that's it where you know our sport is a is, our sport can be segmented in such a fashion that you can you can have something for certain spectators and we don't have to always appease everyone. Um, you know, and, and that's sometimes, certainly when you're getting to those bigger meets, uh, in terms of number of events, you know, that may be the best way to go about it is to segment it off. So, 
you know, I think that there's, I think that's part of what I would hope. And I, and I hope that, uh, you know, the other thing that we can hopefully influence, uh, in some way is, it's just a, a mentality that is athlete centered and, and giving Canadian kids a chance. And, uh, you know, a big part of the philosophy of the Inferno. And, you know, if I look back on things that, uh, that I view as success, it's, it's when we, we gave that, you know, junior athlete or that high school athlete or, you know, an espoir athlete, uh, we don't use that term that much, but that young athlete that, that start and they, they, um, they had a big breakthrough, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, a few years ago, I, I coached a young lady named Charlotte Ward with, with Dave and, uh, and she ran 422 at the Inferno, and she'd never broken 428 before, right? Like, that was a big breakthrough for her, uh, you know? Um, I love seeing last year uh, athletes like Roush Paddle or, or Ashlyn Best, Offs of Champions, coming back uh, the following weekend and running at uh, the Inferno and, and trying to run fast, right? Uh, and, and getting them exposed to a level of competition that they, they can't find elsewhere. Um, so, you know that's uh that's really important to me too so you know you never know where the next star athletes uh will be you know um before i guess we started we were talking about uh, the national track league and the history of it and you know some of these results predate the national track league but uh i'm willing to be corrected on this but i believe nate brennan broke the four minute mile in high school at the eileen mar uh, you know, one of Andre DeGrasse's breakout races was winning the high school event at the Toronto International Track and Field Games, you know. Um, so you never know where that next generation athlete is is going to come. And, you know, we're not in a position to, you know, offer eight spots in our 1500 for, for uh, high school athletes. But, you know, if there's an opportunity where I can give a, a young man or woman a, a chance to, to push things forward and, and hopefully augment their career in some form or another, whether it's qualifying for a national meet or, or, you know, you mentioned, you know, going to California, going to Europe. Our goal isn't necessarily to replace those as options. Um, but I've been in the sport long enough to know that if you go over to Europe and you don't have performances, you're going to be watching some pretty good track meets. <laughs> so, you know, um, it's better to have some results. So even if it's just getting someone a time where they can, get in a better section in Europe or, you know, or get in a, you know, getting to a, to a competition or whatever in the future, then we're doing our job. You've been listening to Something in the Water, a look at the University of Guelph and Speed River track and field teams. I've been Michael Rokas. This podcast is brought to you by Sidious Mag, online at SidiousMag.com and on various social media platforms at Sidious Mag. Now, if you want to find the clubs on social media, at Speed River TFC and at Griffin TF on Instagram, and at Griffin Track and at Speed River on Twitter. If you like this show, be sure to check out my other track podcast, The Terminal Mile. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with a new episode in this very place that you're listening right now in the new year. Mm-hmm.